Brilliant Minds is so much more than a two-day creativity and thought leadership gathering in Stockholm, Sweden. It's a 365-day year-round journey. The journey of our founders, Daniel Eck of Spotify and Ash Pornori of At Night. The journey of our board, team members, the young entrepreneurs we meet year-round whose ideas will change the world. It's also my journey. My journey as CEO, as a working mother, as a wife and sister, as the child of immigrants, as a person who truly believes that bringing people together and uplifting each other's great stories can make the world better. This podcast is that personal journey. Brilliant Minds is about building community everywhere we go and sharing the bold voices in that community who are not afraid to challenge the way things have always been done in order to create things that have never been imagined before. In this podcast, I hope you join me in cities around the world, where I will exclusively interview some of the most creative people, men and women, young and old, across all sectors, fashion, art, tech, music, science, business, food, health, people that share the values of brilliant minds, rooted in transparency, gender equality, social justice, compassion, a love of the environment and mankind, people that aren't afraid to use their voice for change. Follow me at other great tech events, art summits, media gatherings, where I will give you an inside scoop on where the future is going and how you can help shape it. Join me in the Brilliant Minds podcast on the go around the world. I can't wait to hear what you think. Welcome to the Brilliant Minds podcast. Today I'm live podcasting from the Wilson Center in Washington, D.C., where we are celebrating the five-year anniversary of the Women in Public Service Project, an initiative launched by Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State and inaugurated by Christine Lagarde, Laura Bush, and a group of the world's top political women. The goal of this effort is to make sure that by the year 2050, 50% of public policy roles in the world are filled by women. I'm really excited to have two great men who are speaking at today's event also on the podcast. With me, I have Swedish ambassador to the United States, Bjorn Lerval, who represents the world's first feminist government and feminist foreign policy in America, along with worldwide chief creative officer for BBH and founder of BBH Los Angeles, who, amongst helping the private sector weave the narrative around gender equality, also helped Michelle Obama launch her own effort on this called The State of Women. Please listen to this interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a lot of laughs, and you'll also learn a lot. Thanks for listening. Here at the Woodrow Wilson Center, we're celebrating the Women in Public Service Project, mm-hmm. which is something that was launched with Secretary of State, then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and some of, in my opinion, the world's most amazing women. Christine Lagarde, Barbara Bush, Condoleezza Rice, Jane Harman, really strong women that are leading, I think, the next generation of politicians. But I once told myself, it was about a few months ago, that I would never, ever, ever be part of any more women's initiatives mm-hmm. because there's never any men involved. So part of the reason I have Pele Honel and Ambassador Bjorn Lerval here is to ameliorate that, but mostly because you guys really 
believe in that. You're both Swedish, and Sweden has been a nation leading the way on this for a very long time. Mm. Most Americans just don't know that, so part of my mission in life is sharing that because I think exporting the Swedish way is important, and, I, and I'll let you kind of discuss this a bit, but I think very few people know. It's something I learned when I lived there, that Sweden was the first country in the world to have 50-50 in the cabinet, I believe, in the 1990s, mm-hmm. and today you have the first ever feminist government and mm-hmm. a feminist foreign policy, which is such an important symbol. So, Ambassador, could you tell me a little bit, what has it been like to represent a feminist government in America? Oh, it's fantastic. I think this is an extremely important priority issue for us. And it's not, let me say, first of all, it's not a thematic issue. It's not an add-on to policies. This is what we do to try to integrate into everything we do in foreign policy and in our relationship to look on how we can increase women's and girls' rights, women's and girls, the resources for them, representation. Um, so it's, it's a, an agenda for change that we have launched. And, of course, it's also... You know, demanded quite a lot from us as white middle-aged men <laughs> in the diplomatic service who have been, you know, 30 years dealing with crisis management issues and so on, but not really been, uh, you know, versed in how to, uh, you know, put a feminist perspective on what we try to do in our work. Uh, now we're doing that, and it's a thrill. I'm thrilled to do it, and it's a great experience. And I think we have made oh, some progress over these past mm. two years since my government launched the feminist foreign policy and declared itself as the first feminist government. What does that mean, though? I understand, but if you were to describe, what does it mean to be a feminist government? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, as you also alluded to at the outset, this was also a provocative statement in order to stir up some dust uh, and to get the conversation going uh, internationally, that we actually tell the way we think it is. Uh, we need to have a society where men, boys, women, girls are equally represented and where you are, you know, uh, not only what's the right, doing the right thing, what is morally right, but also what is economically the smart thing to do, uh, i.e. to involve 50% of both men and women uh, in, the, uh, in, 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 in the running of the government and in conceivably also in business over time, but I mean, we are far from there. I mean, I have to say that's probably the area where we are still lagging behind quite a lot when it comes to female CEOs, for example. But it's, it's, it's an approach. It's a, uh, a way of uh, you know, putting a new perspective on, on the way we do policies and uh, as I said, an agenda for change, which is constantly also evolving because we are learning on the job. We are developing this over time. It's not as if it was a blueprint out there that we could immediately just start to apply for this. It's, it was a bold statement by a very dedicated foreign minister and very strongly supported by our prime minister's former trade union leader speaking very straight and clearly about the importance of, of a, a feminist government and a feminist foreign policy. And I think it was an extremely bold and brave thing to do. And I remember when, when Minister Wallström mm. came out with that, there were definitely some blogs in Washington, D.C. that made fun of it a bit, and it made me furious. And I remember running <coughs> to my husband saying, how can, you, how can you believe mm. these things? How can they write this? But it's definitely something different mm. for the Western world, especially America. Mm. And I say this, and I'd love to ask both of you, why is Sweden so forward? I know you're all humble and you don't want to admit it, but 
you're pretty much better than anywhere else in the world when it comes to most things around gender parity and empowering, I would say empowering both men and women with the tools they need to have the life they want. Working, not working, if men want to stay home, you really kind of make it happen. What's the history behind that? Well, I mean, it's the, as, as I said, I mean, it's the right thing to do, but it's also a smart thing to do. Uh, we know that this is something that will help help us to have, uh, you know, educated uh, and smart women taking their part of the responsibility for running the country and also for being part of, of, of uh, you know, work life. And clearly that's something that has been required for us to be able to succeed as a country. And to, uh, of course, it's also, you know, uh, gender equality in our view creates a society which is more stable, it's more prosperous, uh, it's more peaceful. Uh, so, I mean, we have experienced that positively, and I think it's something we would certainly wish to see happen in other parts of the world as well. It would be a, a contribution to an active outreach and foreign policy uh, of our country. Hopefully others would join in as well. Kelly, how has it been for you? You've lived in Los Angeles for a while now, but you definitely came at some point from Stockholm with your family there, and it must have been a bit of a culture shift. How has it been for you in the private sector being a Swede, really being passionate about gender equality, you've done a lot with Michelle Obama and the White House on gender equality, which I want to get into in a little bit. But talk about that culture shift. Well, I think it's the, the first striking thing is that um, the U.S. is a one of the most modern societies and one of the most ancient societies. Uh, and there's some medieval stuff going on <laughs> at the same time as it's absolutely forefront on, on many things. And it's really exciting especially in marketing, uh, to try to figure that out. Um, I think when it comes so issues like um, that we took, I took for granted growing up in Sweden, we already sorted out, you know, um, abortion, religion, lots, lots of things that I, I was surprised by seeing, wait a minute, are they actually, they're still talking about it here. And it sits very we're deep. We're still talking yeah, about it. Yeah, and, and we're still talking about it, and it's still affecting a lot of what's happening. Um, I think that's, that struck me. Uh, it also struck me that I thought it would be the land of the free and the brave, and it's more of the fear and the lawyers, uh, <laughs> in a way, that's very fear-driven. Yeah. Uh, society. We, in Sweden, we, it's really hard to get fired, um, and uh, which breeds bravery, I think. We have an mm. inherent... Um, work ethic in Sweden and if you if you don't have that then if you can't lose your job then that could lead to laziness but it's quite the opposite I think we are it breeds bravery and creativity and I think we've we've really um, gained on that here there's much more protecting your job for many reasons I mean there are some fair reasons why you have to protect your job here uh, because there is too too big of a fall if you if you lose it and you can uh, so I think that struck me very quickly that this is this is serious game to be here and to be able to stay here or to be able to work here is it's not uh, I wouldn't say it as easy as Sweden but it was easy for me because I came from Sweden and all the things that were given to me uh, with that um, I feel like I've been, I don't know sometimes I say I've been on doping for the last 10 years being Swedish in, in this market because there's a lot of uh, a lot of things we're taught from 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 young age that really is a benefit to way to work in in this market that you are very 
easy to make decisions if you're Swedish, which you're uh, taught to be brave around, again, not protecting your job, but what do you do with it? Um, our technology advanced, I mean, we rehearsed on unfair grounds for years in the digital space, almost like, you know, you Olympians go to the Alps to, pre to train for uh, the real game, where we were ahead in many ways due to our government. Uh, was it 97, I think, broadband for the whole mm -hmm. uh, Subsidized was PCs, amazing. Yeah. Got a computer. <laughs> so a lot of those things, I think also um, a fair bit of humbleness actually works, uh, especially now <laughs> that uh, if, if you combine that with a strong sense of uh, decision, you, you want something, but you're also willing to let others in on that mm. decision, things actually propels you in this, uh, in this society, in, in, the, in the market. So I have a lot of things to thank Sweden for, for that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, uh, it's an exciting place and it's a weird time now, I guess, after the election, but it's also an exciting time where a lot of, as a marketer, uh, you, the ears are up now. You know, people are listening to frequencies that were, uh, if, if we have had another outcome of the election, I think mm -hmm. a lot of shoulders would have come down and we would have checked the box mm -hmm. saying it's going to mm -hmm. be fine. Exactly. Whereas now it's rolling up your sleeves and get to work, which is what we're doing here today. Absolutely. And I think it, it's really interesting because I, I once had a really good friend, a successful founder in New York City, uh, Swede, say to me, you know, Natalia, it's such a funny, funny country you live in. I said, why? I said, it's, I found it 10 times easier to launch a successful tech company in New York City than to navigate the public school system and deal with putting three mm. kids into it um, and balancing that with my wife and everything. And I think that that was really clever. And I wonder if you've had that kind of experience in the private sector. Um, because definitely, I mean, we have several speakers here today. We have Katarina from Spotify, who mm. launched amazing parental leave. IKEA launched six months of parental leave yesterday. Everybody's been raving in America. We don't have any. Um, and it sounds really kind of base to keep talking mm. about it, but that is the number one thing that keeps women from the workforce yeah. um, and politics. Mm. And so I say all this just to know, like, what was, what was your experience? Like, it must be different. You're managing a lot of people in L.A., um, which is still quite male-oriented, I think, despite yeah. the fact that it's, you know, this music industry is very male-oriented. How do you kind of bridge this gap? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think they're doing it wrong here with... Uh, parental leave and uh, I don't think I, I think it stops productivity and I think it uh, they need to learn from Sweden on this I mean it's just it's that simple I think uh, it's such a there are two things I guess to it that and maybe this goes back to why we're so yeah. ahead in Sweden is that we have to compete mm -hmm. I think we're uh, uh, we know we're we're very aware that we're a small nation up in the cold that people don't really care about and we're like what about us and we learn about the world and we read and we kind of we're very outwards mm. we, we want we'd like to compete with the world and uh but we try to figure out how to be competitive and i think the, the feminist government and these are, are a way to make us more competitive it's not it, it's smart like yeah. like ambassador said mm. it's not it's not just to uh because we think it's it feels right. Yeah, it's, a good it's absolutely right. We have this uh, figure that we use uh, that you know we have focused on our export industries because we know that 99.86% of the world's consumers are outside of Sweden. <laughs> and we, if you have that approach to it, you know that you have to also create you know industries that can will be able to educate, uh, train, and keep mm -hmm. their personnel. 
And how do you do that? I mean, that's the way I think IKEA and Spotify and others are looking mm. upon it here in the US as well. They have a need to keep high profile, high performing uh, staff members. Uh, and they can do that if they also create a workspace and a uh, social conditions for this job that actually makes them stay. Having said this though, Natalia, I have to as a Swede immediately also say that of course we have things to do. You knew it was coming, but I, had, I have to say that because <laughs> somehow it's part, it's part of the balance. No, no, it has to be said. It has to be said. Yeah. No, we can. I, mean, I think we did. Uh, we, we have a reason for it, but there's also you know, an unfinished business here. This is the, the uh, remaining global uh, issue of the 21st century that you could, should deal with, the question of gender equality. And it also pertains to what we have to do in Sweden. You know, we have still 86% uh, you know, uh, lower. I don't know. The, the women earns eighty-six percent of men, mm -hmm. approximately. That's on the same job. You still have a uh, question of the CEOs and the companies, the private sector, and the representation there of women. Still haven't had a prime minister who's a, 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 a woman. You know, things like that. There are in different areas, you know, things that still needs to be done and. Um, well, I mean, we have to educate people like myself and others who are uh, men, uh, get them more involved and take this issue more as a natural thing to pursue and push for. I, th I, I think it's interesting that uh, I don't think that equality is something that you one day check check no. off and you'll be like, we're done. No. It, it, it is something you have to work on every day. Of course. It's, like a, way, it's yes. a way of living. It's a way yeah. of acting at work. Mm. It's a way of acting at home. It's a way of... And I think that's why there is no, uh, it's almost like there's never success in mm. it because it's, it's a given, mm. <laughs> it, you know. And uh, what also is interesting, I think, is that it is the absolute fundament of democracy. Yeah. Is it was the first division that happened in our species must have been the division of, two, uh, of gender. And, if, and those two first got one vote each, <laughs> you know, that is the foundation of democracy. And if we can't, fix that one, mm. then there's a lot of other things that, you know, but at the same time, we're using so little of our power uh, by not fixing it. Mm. That there is such, and I think that was said today, that there's, uh, there's, uh, there's so much, it's almost like you use a part of your brain. I think our species are using part of our leadership when we don't have enough mm. uh, female leaders in, uh, in positions. I think that's the amazing thing about Sweden, and, and yes, we talk about the exports in physical terms, companies, products, stuff, but Sweden is one of the few countries that really export values to America. You both mm. do that in a way in your jobs. Um, I'd love to get just kind of a quick vignette or story. Ambassador, you speak at a lot of conferences, mm. universities. You were just at Tufts talking mm. about what does feminist foreign mm -hmm. policy mean. What kind of questions do you get from Americans? What kind of response do you get? Are they interested? Do they think it's odd? I think feminism has a little bit of a different definition mm. in America, mm. actually. It's more negative amongst some groups, so it, you must get some hilarious or interesting feedback. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, clearly, if you go to uh, the gender conference that I just went to at uh, Tufts University at Fletcher School there, they had uh, some of the, the very best and the brightest who were very much involved uh, on this issue and extremely supportive of what we are trying to do and very much applauding it and clearly they wanted to understand more from a practitioner even a, you know, sort of a 
newcomer into the field, but still uh, someone who's been dealing with this, trying to implement what we are doing uh, with our uh, bold statement of a feminist foreign policy. So they had a lot of questions, follow-up questions on on on, uh, on on issues that uh, how you how do you work with the what, what have you actually done as far as government uh, over this past two years? Uh, what, what what can you you know mention as achievements, and what have you done in the embassy? So I was giving some practical mm -hmm. examples to a very uh, uh, positive and welcoming group of, of experts and, and interested people. You know, otherwise it's, it's as you say, you, and I think this is probably also happening when you go to speak in Sweden about a feminist foreign policy. You get this uh, reaction that Margaret Wallström, she you know, loves to quote Gandhi, uh, that uh, first they giggle, <laughs> then they uh, ignore you, then they fight you, and then you win. That's really good. It's a good, yeah, it's, a like good it's a good uh, sort of description also what happens here. You have a bit mm -hmm. of the giggle effect mm -hmm. here in the US and <laughs> you have that in Sweden too when you talk about a feminist foreign policy. S and uh, then there is a, a growing recognition, I, I, I believe, on this side that, uh, well, you have something there that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing, reaction I, 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 I kind of meet here in the U.S., but also, also yeah, back in Sweden, as a matter of fact. Uncomfortable is good. Mm. What about you, Pelle? You have done great things. I mean, Michelle Obama put on United States of Women. You really were very hands-on with that. How were your kind of discussions in the White House or amongst different people you were bringing together around that event? What did you learn from that experience? I think it was, it was, it was a fantastic experience to, first of all, be asked to help on something. It was actually to help Civic Nation, which is a non-profit, non-political organization under the White House who were, are dealing with creative solutions for issues. So it's college rape, it's um, equality, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of things. And when this came up, I raised my hand, uh, maybe as the happy Swede going, <laughs> equality, great, I'll take that one. I feel like I know enough about that too. Uh, and what was great was to see how our agency, who also men and women coming together to solve, crack, trying to crack this problem that we also, you know, in a workspace, uh, there obviously, our industry haven't sorted this out either completely. There's a lot of, just like we're lacking uh, CEOs in Sweden, we're, we're lacking creative female leaders in our industry. Um, but it was a great process to, to get everyone together for, the, for this cause. And I think it was obviously very exciting when Chief of Staff called into our little conference room and we were like, uh, you know, pinching ourselves. This is, and then to see the, uh, the amazing backup of power women coming in for this cause. So for us to go and then film and shoot, you know, uh, opera, Tina Fey, Meryl Streep, uh, just to name a few. Awesome. friction of all, yeah. all, all of them um, and it was amazing for this administration to uh, when you work and they said that early on if you work with the White House it's basically like you work at a talent agency without the agents mm. <laughs> they all they all come they all yeah. come if you call yeah. them uh, and it was it, it really was for us very special um, but I think also working through the process and hearing about and I think the uh, feminism the word had uh, or the, the movement had the wrong advertising agency <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, or, or the right one, because I think it is also, it is a great provocative 
it does stir mm. some uh, stir things up as the Swedish, you know, uh, feminist foreign uh, policy. Mm. Um, but I also think that we're uh, it, it's a it's a misunderstanding. So I listened to some other po podcasts recently, uh, and there's. Uh, Varevet is fantastic, yeah, uh, and he always kind of asks, "Are you are you feminist?" And a lot of the answers are, "No, no, you know, if it's yep. a, if it's a man, they go, no, I'm I'm actually for equality." And I think the misunderstanding of it that it is it is equality. Um, it's just that it it has a bit of the wrong as a brand guy. Uh, mm. I think we could have had more, because uh, no one, well, very few men, will actively say they're against equality. Yeah. But I think a lot of men are hesitant. Uh, if they're n not informed, which is uninformed, is in a way the big issue right now of what's happening is that mm. the elite uh, thinks everything is fine and then the rest of the country is suffering. Um, so I think that misunderstanding and, and we kind of, that's what I'm thinking a little bit, also going into this process of helping out here, and I think is, how can we communicate in a way that you actually really have a simple is issue that, sh that everyone can agree much easier on than, uh, at the same time as you want to keep the edge yeah. of it. Yeah. It has a good edge to it. And uh, anyways, it's something that I think is, uh, is interesting. A lot of women won't say they're mm. feminists, mm. so I think it's both ways, but I, mean, I think- But very few women would say they're against equality. I don't think yeah. anyone no. would say they're against that's, equality that's, publicly. That's my, <laughs> that's my point. And as, like, or and no, maybe they aren't, but they don't know it. You know, I don't want to get into that with this election cycle. But um, no, I think the magic, too, I'm so happy that we had both of you here, is because I think it's going to have to be much more what can you learn in government from the private sector? Storytelling, branding, outreach, mm. authenticity, and vice versa. Because yeah. I think the government also has the world's greatest platform. No matter how much some of us, you know, and I've complained about the government, it is the best platform, it has the best tools to bring people together. Embassies mm. can bring anyone together yeah. like no other platform. So mm. I want to ask each of you, you know, what do you think you can learn or want to learn from the other? And how can we take this public-private partnership forward in, in gender equality? Well, I mean, I learned a lot only by sitting here listening to Pelle, who's, who's oh, actually been doing great job. Yeah. No, I mean, seriously, I mean, you have been thinking about it. You've been thinking about you know, the meaning of the word uh, feminism, how to deal with it and how to use the edge. And these are the kind of things that uh, is you know, very useful for me to, to learn and understand. I mean, as a, as a newcomer to the field, as I said. But I, I, uh, I still, th I mean, at the, on the other hand, if you, speak, if you speak about the private sector, uh, I guess the private sector is once again, looking at the number of CEOs, women, female CEOs in Sweden, it's, it's got a lot of work, mm. uh, homework to do. I think the normative work that has been done in Sweden as far as, well, normative is not really you know, mandated, but it's, it's been become in polit political life a, an accepted fact that uh, every second for the lady, uh, I mean, every second mm -hmm. nomination should be for a female or a woman. That has actually had a very uh, profound effect. The leadership mm -hmm. provided, the vision provided by some of our political leaders over the years, has actually had a very, very uh, profound effect on actually creating that new situation where we now have a government with, which is 50-50 men and women. We have 44% women in parliament. Mm -hmm. 
still a little way to go. But it's it's sort of a natural, it's a no-brainer. People expect this to happen, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't see the same in the in the uh, in the mm-hmm. private sector. And uh, I guess uh, there are reasons for this, perhaps. But I mean, the the one answer I don't think should be accepted is the, the old one that there there aren't any women that could I do the job because mm-hmm. that's what you I think that heard in politics. You've heard it in in all kinds yes. of walks of life before. And yes. why should it be the case in 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 the, in the business community, for example? Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm the real rookie here mm. in Washington, so uh, obviously it's such an honor to be to be here with the Honorable oh Ambassador. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and to, now I'm think learning from from the uh, from government, and I think there's a, an interesting movement right now that I'm uh, thinking a lot about, which is that seeing what happened with Standing Rock, for instance, this last uh, week, and that physical demonstration or physical acts or actual policies and things that are real have more effect perhaps than we thought uh, and we thought that a couple of tweets and some likes and some uh, fans and mm. that there's almost like we had um, and I think brands are especially uh, thinking that they count views and uh, a Facebook like is a fan where Brands don't have fans; mm. they have consumers, and uh, um, I, I think there's lots to learn from that. And I think is um, the dedication of of, uh, of opinion is something that brands r- brands should have more opinions. Mm. I think there have been they've been afraid of opinions. I think we're asking opinions of them. I think we're looking for authenticity from brands, and I think that's why brands really should learn from uh, from that. The other thing that I think is really interesting is the power that global brands have. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they don't, we're not power in that sense, it sounds scary, but I think the, 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 the opportunity yes. and the reach, yeah. there are yeah. no yeah. global governments. We have the UN, which, you know, is, but we don't have anyone who can communicate globally in a second uh, and have uh, distribution and like all these things. So I think. I'm hoping uh, that uh, a couple of more of these types of elections are going to get brands to go. Let's let's. We need to help out too. We need to uh, make things happen that are bouncing between two parties for years. Instead, mm-hmm. so there's. I'm also sitting here in this lunch hearing. Some have worked an amazing amount of work up until these weeks, and p- probably the work they've done is going to go completely backwards yeah. and then the ones who are going doing that backwards are going to be again after another election yeah. and it's almost like this how do you how do you actually get a process trajectory sustain sustained trajectory on, on issues uh, that are not just yeah what you which which team you like you know so I think um, asking of and demanding global brands to uh, have opinions and stand behind opinions and, and do work, uh, not just the, the big foundations and, you know, like, I don't think, I think real big brands will gain a lot mm. for being an advertising guy. Mm. I think that's what we, we will actually uh, salute them for doing it. And I think they can actually bring a lot of uh, actual uh, physically difference to the game. But they also, it's also a question of to show that this is profitable. Gender equality is profitable mm-hmm. for these big brands. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and of course, 
that is uh, proven by some studies that are really, really interesting. Uh, what's it called? The uh, gender gap uh, exactly. uh, study mm. uh, from McKinsey, mm -hmm. which shows uh, that you would have a huge uh, boost of the, I think, 26% mm -hmm. boost of the uh, international GDP uh, yeah. if you would actually have a you know equal gender equal society Th that that is an sort of issue that is slightly debated uh, and I'm sure there will be more figures coming out there could be more detail on this but still it's an important one and an important selling point as a matter of fact uh, for making uh, industry uh, and brands yes. more interested in this and let me just add one more thing which I think is really crucial and that is this is a generational issue as well I mean uh, you might have difficulties convincing some middle-aged people and, and, and older people about the virtues of gender equality, but it's increasingly uh, a, a completely sort of natural thing for many millennials to, to see this. As, uh, so I, even if there might be a backlash in the world right now, of course we need young people to get, get engaged. Uh, I still believe, uh, and positively so, with optimism that this is going to gradually be developing. But you need leadership to, to, to for, for these young, young people also to get engaged, of course. And of course, what the business community can do is, is, is really important here. I have an example of how that works. So the 2006, I arrived in Minneapolis to the prairie uh, and started my US adventure. And there was the same year that the Inconvenient Truth came out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a matter of months, all our assignments and briefs from the big brands were all green initiatives. Mm. And it wasn't because it was right. Uh, some of them mm. had been waiting for time, right? But this market is an incredibly reactive market. It was because it was the latest thing. Mm -hmm. It was because there is, there is something to gain there. It's because it's, it's, it's good for business. And I, th I believe and really hope and think that the gender issue is that wave now it, it, and you will see a lot of uh, you know it's uh, the, the activities among brands and among celebrities and uh, that okay yes there is an elite uh, part of the world but it is really uh, hard to stop now and uh, it's great to see well, President Obama held a historic state dinner in May with the Nordic countries and in the dinner he said the world would be much more peaceful if it was led by the Nordics. Well, I think there would be a lot more women in politics if there are more Swedish men like you out there here in America. Thank you guys so much. You're doing great work, and let's keep doing it together. Thank you.